Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society, and this is the after show for East Willie B, featuring my interview with Julia Grobe and Yamin Siegel. Uh, as you heard in their brief interview before the table read, this pilot was based on a web series that Julia and Yamin created and produced. And we get deep into the incredible story of the making of that web series and the show's long journey since then. You know, you could really consider East Willie B the third of a trio of influential web series from around the same time, that 2010 to 2013 era. The other two were Broad City which of course became a series under the same name at Comedy Central, and Issa Rae's Awkward Black Girl, which became Insecure on HBO. East Willie B hasn't made it all the way to TV yet, but as you'll hear, hopes are very much still alive. Uh, I found the story of the guerrilla production of their web series first season and the Kickstarter story of their second season to be so inspiring. It's always so cool to hear about people who don't wait for the gatekeepers and who just get out there and make shit. And that is definitely what Julia and Yamin did, starting with very few resources to get this thing made. Uh, we, we get into the ongoing challenges of getting representation on TV of Latinos beyond West Coast Mexican-Americans. Lots more. This is a really interesting, thought-provoking conversation. Uh, I think there's a lot of takeaways for creators out there. So enjoy my interview with Julia Grobe and Yamin Siegel after a brief message. Oh my gosh, hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using a limerick and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, and brilliant guests who come play him. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave. So try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes, Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I know so little about either of you, and I'd love to to know more. I'd love to hear your sort of showbiz origin stories. I don't know who wants to go first. Why don't you go, Julia? Okay. <laughs> well, um, I will start by saying Yamin and I have known each other since we were like 12, 11 or 12. In a minute. Yeah. It was, I think <laughs> right before high school or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't recall exactly. Definitely since middle school, but have like a, our family friend connected um, since we were little. I grew up in New York city. Um, I'm a only child of a, of, I like to say I'm the love child of a Chilean exile, hippie exile, and a Jewish elementary school teacher who met in mm-hmm. the movement and never married. Um, but all my life, I think I've been, I was a performer first and foremost. I fell in love with musical theater. I think when I was about six, uh, I, my mom brought home the cassette tape of Les Mis, and I was like, addicted um (laughs) 
I went to the fame school in New York and continued and was a vocal major there. Um, but really, I think at Brown, I developed my love of storytelling as on the storyteller side. And a lot of my work is always stems from really my mixed, like my mixed identity being, being, that's why I always introduce my identity at the top because uh, my writing stems from kind of trying to understand that, trying to understand this unique family history and um, always trying to kind of make meaning for myself. So I started writing because I found I was too white to play Latina and too unusual looking to play classic white. And I just started writing. I, I wrote a one woman show in high school that I then went on to tour. And when I wanted to get into TV and film, I was like, well, let me make a web series. Um, and around that time, Yamin had was recently, he'll do his intro, but had recently graduated from grad school and screenwriting. And I was an actor and we were like, oh, let's try to make something that reflects this Latino world that we know that is so different from what we've seen Latinos be on screen, on TV or film. And that experience of creating our web series, which we did two seasons of, East Willie B, uh, turned me from an actor who like wrote to try to have my own material um, and to a TV writer and, you know, aspiring showrunner because I really got so fired up by getting to do the whole creative vision and having my hands in every pot and thinking big picture um, versus, you know, walking in the door as an actor and having five, less than five minutes to do your thing and have someone look at you and go, okay, thanks for coming. Right. <laughs> like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> it's way more fun. Well, I, I want to hear so much more about making the web series, but Yamin, why don't you catch us up to to this point where you guys hook up and make yeah. the web series? So, very similar to Julia, I come from a Latino family. I was actually born in Nicaragua, um, and I came to this country with my mom. And you know, she was very instrumental in my upbringing, obviously. Um, but you know, in the first years there, she was a single mom. And um, so I was very much infused with, you know, her history and her stories and and everything that, you know, she brought with her from our country. And so, you know, flash forward, um, you know, decide that I, I love cinema. I, I go to college at Emerson for filmmaking, decide to go to NYU because I, you know, realized the part of the whole process that I love the most is the actual creation of the stories, right? And like really being able to tell um, something that, you know, makes people, feel and it moves people to places that they perhaps hadn't been to before. And, you know, leaving, I went to grad school at NYU and leaving uh, NYU, I looked around at the landscape and again, similar to Julia, you know, you, you look around and you see nothing that really represents your true story, right? This, the story that you're very familiar with, there's a lot of stuff that kind of touches maybe a little bit on Latino identity, but it's just, again, just so different from what my Latino story was. And I, I really wanted to bring that out because I think there's so many people like me um, who deserve to be represented. And so in that time, you know, YouTube was really blowing up. We're talking like 2006, eight here. And it was really becoming a medium where stories were being told. And you were seeing a lot of experimentation on there. And it was allowing for a lot of voices that otherwise wouldn't be heard to really hit the masses right and you were starting to you know when we started creating our series is when um the was it uh lisa 
Issa Rae's show yeah, was coming out. We all came out around Broad City Us and um, Awkward Black Girl. And Awkward Black Girl. All kind of around the same time. Right. So, you know, so we reconnected, Julie and I reconnected, and it just so happened we were in a very similar place in life where we just wanted to start telling stories, and we just saw this opportunity to really do it in a way that we could be true to our voice um, and who we were. And I had spent, you know, a big part of my childhood in Brooklyn. So, you know, really going, mining that experience and Julie's experience, we created what we think is just such a pure New York Latino story um, of the people that we grew up surrounded by, you know, the, the tios and the tias and the primos that like really inhabited our neighborhood. And yeah, that, that, that's how East Willie B was born. And so how did you go about financing it? Just the, what were were the practicalities of making this series beyond, okay, you know, you've got, you can write, you you can direct, but there's still, you know, um, how'd you make it happen? It was a journey. I mean, it started literally when we first started, we believed that short we basically were Quibi before Quibi was Quibi. <laughs> we were like, this is what people want to do. They want to see little bite-sized content and we'll build these vignettes um, that show you basically a map of this neighborhood. But it was also super strategic. Like we could, with very little financing, create three-minute episodes. And I think our first season we wrote four, we started by writing four three-minute yeah that focused on different characters. And we literally, because we were working actors, directors, writers in New York, um, kind of piecemealed our cast based on either people we had worked with or people we wanted to work with and just started writing characters for these actors' strengths. And I always say it was like a little self-serving because I was like, oh, I want to work with Danny Hawk or like, and, and I was like a step away from him and approached him and he was down. And it was like one by one, we just would look to these actors we super admired who were in the Latino and hip hop community in New York. And people were like, yeah, cool. And we, that first season we shot on the weekends. I was a teaching artist at the time. I would get high school students to come. One high school student would hold a boom mic. Our producer, Michael Cordero, was from Bushwick where we were shooting. His mom's house became like our, you know, green room and base headquarters. And she'd literally make a tray of arroz con gandules. Everyone would hang out on that house. And then we'd go around the corner to another neighbor who said we could use their backyard and shoot a scene. Yeah. And block off the sidewalk by like me standing on the corner. I mean, the, the it was so grassroots and it was so gorilla. And we financed that. I mean, I swear, I think we spent like $500 on the first season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we barely spent any money on that. It was really, like Julia said, with absolute grit and determination. I mean, Julia just pulling out so many contacts and, you know, so many friends and bringing them into the fold. And I think what was so impressive about that first season was that how much it galvanized the Latino community in New York City uh, around the show. Because, there, you know, I think... When you exist in your little pods and stuff, you don't realize that as a collective whole, we were dying to be represented, you know, not just Latino content, but very specifically East Coast Latino content, right? Because if you look at the media landscape at the time, it was very West Coast centric. You see a lot of Mexican stories, Chicano stories, but you just were not really seeing at the time a lot of 
Puerto Rican stories, New Rican stories, Dominican stories. And so when, you know, our friends and family started to see that we were doing this. And again, like with literally the change in our pocket, using cars as dollies, you know, just high schoolers and, and we all did, this. We can edit it. Every, you did everything. Oh, my God. Like everything was done in just between us, all all the editing, our Mikey did all was an amazing graphic designer. He did all the visual design of the show. Um, I was doing all the publicity, and mm-hmm. you know, it it's a it t- it shows what grit and determination will give you with a vision. Because when the series, those first our first season, which eventually we called the pilot season, because it was so uh, <laughs> grassroots and kind of you know white knuckled. Um, when that season came out, we dropped online and I swear we had, we had a different article and different press almost every day for the first six weeks. Um, and it Mm -hmm. moved from online to print and then even local news. Um, and it just catapulted and it was like, oh yeah, people really want to see this. And then immediately it was like, when's the next season? And I think that's when the show, I mean, I know that's when the show took a total leap in quality because we, we went from under three minute episodes in the pilot season to uh, a season that was, I guess the episodes were like six to eight minutes. Yes. Yeah. Cause we started really thinking about at that point, how strategically we could think about we wanted to create scenarios where episodes could be broken out individually, but if you wove three of them together, you had a half hour TV show, mm-hmm. right? Cause we wanted to prove that we weren't just this white knuckle scrappy, <laughs> you know, crew that was just making three minute web videos. Hey, we are serious. We're, we are serious writers. We're serious directors. We're serious actors. You know, these are all, and we got all of these Latinos, all of this, not just Latinos, Actors again but behind the camera got Latino and black talent to do um, the lighting, the the assist with editing, like all of the key positions. The cinematographer was Latino, like all of our key positions. We really started to put people from our crew behind to show that we could do this. So again, like coming back to the episode lengths, we went to that next step to try to show that we could do a full length series if someone believed in the vision. And because we had a built-in audience at this point, we went to Kickstarter to get a real budget. And so for that season that we wrote um, and conceived, it was we raised 50K in 50 days. And mm-hmm. I remember so clearly the end as we got towards that, like the last $10,000 that came in almost in the last 48 hours was all Latino names that we didn't know. And they were coming in at, 10, 25, 50, maybe a hundred dollar donations. And watching that last push, it was like, oh, we have a movement. Like we do have, we have an audience and a movement behind us who are like, yes, we're going to put our money because we want to see more of this show. Seeing that movement behind us really, it was so moving one. And then it really gave us that fire when we were shooting and, and the crew grew from, High school students, as Yamin said, high school students (laughs) holding boom mics to like a full production rolling through Brooklyn, um, production bands, permits, all like we did it legit the second time. And I think that that season really shows how how much the show grew. 
Yeah. And, and just to go, if, if I can just go back to one second to like the Kickstarter campaign, because one of the things that for me was so impactful was we weren't just getting donations from people in New York City. I mean, we were getting donations and messages from people like in Chicago, um, Puerto Rico, I mean, further away that were literally saying, hey, I used to live in New York City. I moved away. I miss it so much. But your show like represents exactly what I remember. It touches my heart. And so I want to give whatever it is that I am, I can afford to give, be it $5, a dollar, whatever, and see this show catapulted, you know, to the masses. And that's, for me, again, was just like such, such an impactful moment to start seeing how we were touching all of these people who had just never seen themselves on TV. That must have just been so incredible. Yeah. And so how legit did you get? Were you getting permits for that second season? Or were you, st- you were, you were like. Mm-hmm. We had a production coordinator. We were getting all permits. I think we, many of our people in our writer's room got into the WGA um, through the new media contract. Cause we were in WGA yeah. contract. We were mm-hmm. SAG contract, all mm-hmm. for low budget. Um, we assembled a writer's room and that was, I think, I don't know if, for you, I mean, but for me, working in the writer's room is, I'd never worked in a writer's room. I'd never been in a TV room, but we really believe that one, we wanted to get more talent in and two, that like this season, the breadth of the season we were trying to create required more voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that was a total evolution point to being like, again, I want to be a show, like, how do I do this on a bigger level and loving to get to collab that we got to collaborate with so many talented young talented people i mean we're all in our 20s mid to late yeah. 20s time and so it just was like you know so fresh and the actors we brought in at the time like we started getting people like professional latino actors who we didn't even know who were began to reach out to us on twitter and were like how can i get down and so like when we ended up bringing rick gonzalez who was a bushwick born um he was from the neighborhood we were featuring and he was probably one of the bigger actor talents to get out there had been in coach carter and like just continuously worked since the time he was 15 or 16 and we were able to bring him in we were like rolling around at times with lin-manuel miranda who knew about the show before he while he was doing in the heights and it was just a period of joel ortiz got on board this yeah rapper to the point that like one of the scenes we shot at a barber shop in Bushwick with Rick and Joel was like the neighborhood went well like we just had crowds around our production because we were bringing these homegrown talent back to the neighborhood and everyone was doing it for a hundred dollars I mean for nothing <laughs> oh man it was crazy and, and, and speaking of Joel Ortiz that was another thing that we did with our first season was we decided to we wanted to amp the music up as well and so we started working with someone like Joel Ortiz who is a huge name in hip-hop um and again from Bushwick Brooklyn and integrating actual music um you know soundtracks I guess you should say we could say into the show and that was also part of our promotional strategy was like hey let's if we're working with up-and-coming Latin talent you know, on every level of this production in front and behind, let's also do like Yamin said, the musical. So Los Racas, uh, Bomba Stereo, Maya Azucena. Um, and they were all the kind of like just on the verge of blowing up and would 
give us the music for free. We had someone else really big. I can't remember. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think, but you it was. There's like somebody. No, big. no, no. We used his music and we were in touch with his manager, but we didn't for have. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. But uh, we could have gotten Tego. That would have been. <laughs> <laughs> so you finished that second season. Yeah. And and what happens next? We were always, I think, one of the big, besides these kind of electronic promotional strategies, one of the big things we did with both seasons is we threw like a premiere to end, like we threw a legit premiere. Um, we got liquor sponsors, we rented out a theater, we sent out press releases like it was a Hollywood premiere and yeah. people came. And so our with the launch of that now we had a second season, a bigger quality, a bigger premiere, a bigger liquor sponsor. And um, the series came out. We were written up by the New York Times as the Latino show for a new generation. We got a few calls. We were like, okay, we're going to either we're going to make another season, but like we really want to take this to TV. We started coming mm -hmm. out to LA for meetings. Thought we had. We were, it was, you know, we're on the escalator ride up <laughs> and then very quickly realized it was like, well, what else do you have? Or, oh, this is so amazing. But, um, you, you know, the classic Hollywood, like, we love to see what you did, but you already did that. So now we want to do the next thing. And we're like, we're just getting started. This has legs for like, this is mm -hmm. an amazing story. It's cheer sudden, you know gentrified Brooklyn, like this should keep going. Um, and that was really hard to do. Uh, <laughs> and oh my think, God. Um, you know, we spent probably from the premiere of the second season, which was 2012. Oh, 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, I moved and I moved in, I moved to LA in 2013. Um, so then, okay, so 2012. We shot it in 2011. I think the Kickstarter yeah. was 2011. It came out in 2012. Um, and we were also, I think it was a real crossroads for me and Yamin, which was kind of like, you know, we had been doing this for a while now. It had been like four or five years from the beginning, the first, from the conception of it to this, the promotion of the second season. Um, and we're both kind of in that like adult head of like, what is, what, what are, how can we continue to do these things independently? Do we have to go to Hollywood? And that was when I was like, I'm, I've spent 10 years in New York being a, a kind of off, off, off Broadway actor doing my web series, doing my one woman show. I have teaching theater to high school students. I have no children. I have a supportive husband who was like, if you want to go, let's go. And um, I moved out to LA pretty strictly like in 2013, largely with the hopes of just getting money for this project and coming back. Um, and I, that didn't fully happen, <laughs> but um, it be it did become a calling card for me, and ultimately helped me get into the ABC writing program, and basically began my professional career um, as a TV writer. And then Yamin took a a bit of a different different strategy for a while, and ultimately we made it back to um, well, getting this pilot made. Yeah. Two years later, two years, 2015, 
we sold it? 2016, 2017. 17, we sold. 2017. Wait. So I moved out, yeah, in 2013 and in 2017, which is a whole other story how it ultimately yeah. made it into AB, to, to ABC buying it. Yeah, so tell, let me let's hear that story. How does ABC? <laughs> how do you finally? Well, if we sold it in 2017, 2016 was when we pitched it in 2016. Uh, see, I, I'm I'm wondering whether we. So our announcement was November 2018. That's when we went up on deadline. So we so might have been. 20... It, we sold it in 2018. But yeah. We pitched it in 2017. 17. Yep. yep. I, so now I was finally like, Yamin was doing a lot of um, kind of stayed in the web series, digital sphere, um, worked with Flama and, and a couple other kind of online digital video, comedy video sites as yep. more like creative directing, right? Yes. Yeah. Basically what happened was after, you know, we realized East Willie B wasn't necessarily going to have its own legs. Uh, I had started just submitting to jobs um, at the time. And I had heard, read about uh, Univision was going to be launching a new uh, English language digital channel called Flama. And so I just cold called Univision and the operator at Univision put me through to my future boss. Um, and I ended up running content for this channel for a few years there, which was to me an extension of what I had been doing with these Willie B and Julia, right? Which was giving a voice to Latinos, specifically English language speaking millennial Latinos. And we developed this comedy channel that grew to over a million subscribers. And we had, you know, so many video, video views. Um, and it was such a great experience, but at the end of the day, you know, my heart always was with writing. And so it was always, you know, still with Each Will Be, I always felt, and still to this day, believe that Each Will Be will make a great television show, mostly because it is such a timeless story, right? And I think it's accessible to anybody, but all that to say, like, you know, so I was doing my digital thing in New York while Julie was out West, you know, pursuing the the writing gig. And I think one day you just, I, I, I got a call from you or something and you had like well, found. I, you know, I was in the writer's room. I was staffed. I had a management and agent and I started getting development meetings and I always kept East, like East Willie B was always in my back pocket. And I think I met with, um, I was at, uh, develop uh, a meeting at Will Powers company, not Will Power, Will, Will Packer. sorry, Will Power is a theater person, Will Packers company. And I think it was a general, like, and I really hit it off with the head of TV at the time over there, Corinne, um, what's her last name? Corinne. Oh boy. Monique Williams and Corinne. Nash, Nash at the time. Um, she Sorry, it's Monique Nash and Corinne Williams. Corinne and Williams. Yeah, but she changed her name, I believe. Okay, so they were, <laughs> they were, they were the TV department at um, production company, and we were meeting about other stuff or open writing assignments, and I was like, you should check out East Willie B. And maybe a month later, I got a call from her, and she was like 
who has the rights to, she's like, I'm watching easily be, I love it. Who has the rights to it? I'm like, we completely own the rights to it. And she was like, I think this is a TV show. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's a TV show too. <laughs> and she was like, I want to, I let's develop a pitch and take it out. And in that year, uh, that, so that was 2017, 2017. Yeah. Now, you know, many years, after it had been on the web, um, we developed a television pitch um, for the series. We a pilot idea, and we pitched everyone. Everyone. We did all the networks, and we then got passes from every network, and went on to do a slightly um, edgier cable pitch. Yeah. And got passes. I mean, we didn't pitch everyone for cable, but whoever would hear it passed on it. And we were sort of like at the end of 2017, just like, okay, yeah. well, we did it. Like we we did our goals. We got a chance to pitch it. It's this is this is that like this is a dead show now. We love our experience. And about three months later, at the top, I want to say it was like March or April of 2018. It was during pilot season. It was during a pilot. So it was, it it was during been. a pilot taping. Yeah, it was during pilot. Yeah, it was Mar April, I think, of 2018. I got a call out of the blue from Corinne. And she's like, you will not believe this. But um, this executive, I ran, I was at a pilot taping. I ran into an executive at ABC who had been in the room, a Latina executive at ABC who had been in the room for your pitch last year. And she was like, so excited to see me because she said, you've been at the top of my call list. I want to talk to you about something. And apparently this was the year that ABC was like, we are going to get a Latino comedy on the air. We are going to develop multiple and we're going to get one, at least one on the air. And she was like, I cannot stop thinking about East Lily B. I'm going to give you a few notes to make sure the the pitch is as ABC, you know, centric and sellable as possible. But if they're interested, I think we can make this happen. And Corinne was like, I have never heard of this happening ever before <laughs> yeah. in my Hollywood, like entire time where it was just like this pitch that died. An executive came back and was like, literally like, I'll walk it back in for the next pitch season. Mm. So that I was stopped on Mystery Glacius at the time. We had a largely Lat a largely Latino room, and we three of our eight writers pitched Latino comedy, pitched and sold Latino comedies pretty much in the room to ABC. And one of them was East Willie B. And we used to go, we'd like leave in the morning to go do a pitch and come back at lunch. And it was like, what's our record? And I was like, <laughs> 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 and I, I mean, that feeling for me and Yamin was euphoric. I, we, yeah. we did not fully get the buy in the room, but we got the buy and the drive out of the. Oh, the, out of the lot. I mean, yeah, it, it was as close yeah. to the room as you could possibly get. And yeah. I remember just being so euphoric, but also vindicated. I mean, it's one, so one of the things that was is very important to mention is that the exec that kept us in their mind was Latina. Uh -huh. right? right. So 
when, you know, flat going back to our initial outreach after the first season, a lot of the rejections that we got from studios back then who wouldn't even hear our pitch was that it was too Latino or it wasn't Mexican enough or it was too, why you know, English. We had why that exactly. on. if you're doing a story about Latinos, shouldn't it be in Spanish? And we're like, no, we're all we're second generation and none of us speak very well. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yes, the two Mexican and why is it in English were, 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 I mean, sorry, not Mexican enough. And why is it in English were just constant responses mm-hmm. um, we heard. And like, I mean, said it is so important to note that it was the Latina in the room who was like, it struck a chord with her because she got felt identified in it. And it mm-hmm. was a full year of staying in her brain so that when there was an opportunity she was ready that we were the first people she walked back in. Um, It's, you know, the focus is so much on diversifying the writer's rooms and not the executive ranks. And you realize a story like this is just like, if you don't have diversity in the, you know, development executives, some of these projects aren't going to make it through, right? Because they're not, you know, people aren't going to just intuitively respond to them. And you see it when you're pitching, like, in the yeah. room, you can see the eyes sort of <laughs> when you start making jokes that people don't understand or when we would get responses after the type of like pinpointed questions, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, yeah, you didn't understand. Like you didn't you don't understand the culture. So you didn't understand the character like it, And I think it was also a big thing. It's like the show is not just. Latino. It's also, as we've said, East Coast, Puerto Rican, largely, and then working class. And so there are definitely responses of like, it's not aspirational enough. It's not, you know, these classic things you hear. And we're like, well, like Roseanne is one of the most popular shows of all time. (laughs) Class white people, like people who watch television don't just want to see the blackish version of themselves. They also want to see, you know, the Carmichael version or like the, 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 the piece that feels that's more working class. And we yeah. always believe that there was, that that is imp- just as important to television as the glossy, you know, um, high income version of <laughs> us. <laughs> so do you know how many Latino shows they did by that year? Um, I want to say I, on the comedy side, it was the three in Iglesias room. There was maybe one or two more, but we might've been the three. I can't remember. Um, however, in in classic Hollywood form, um, that was middle of that development season was the Fox ABC merger. Yeah. And the directives from the previous, from the ABC, you know, which at the time was run, the head of TV was a Black woman. I think the head of the network was a Black woman. Um, And this desire to put the Latino show on the air when the new Fox executives, um, when that entire changeover happened to the, yeah, it it ceased to be. Yeah, we lost our exec. We, we lost, lost her boss, both of who were women of color. Yeah. yeah. 
And when those pickups happened in January and February, not a single one of these scripts was produced. Right. It, it seems like it's that's just so much the story of Latinos in television is just like Lucy pulling the football away <laughs> over and over again. Um, you know, I, I know a bunch of other, you know, Latino writers and it just seems, you know, there's there, there's those moments where the shows get bought and then come, you know, green light time. It's like they don't end up getting, yeah. you know, the the green light. Jay Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast? Go fact yourself. No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. A live audience. Woohoo! Well, lucky for you listeners, Go Fact Yourself has brand new episodes featuring live audiences cheering on guests every month. And we still have all of our Zoom episodes with contestants and experts from around the world. We can truly have it all. Yay! You can hear it all twice a month, every month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. What's your perspective on how, you know, have things... You know, and I think about a show like Hentified or, you know, there's there's shows on cable and streaming that have that have gotten through. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are big picture about Latino representation um, in TV. I mean, it's still very narrow. Right. I mean, Hentified is an example of a Mexican story, a Chicano story, you know, West Coast, uh, which deserves to be told, of course, but there is such a larger picture within, within the Latino sphere that, you know, that's something we were able to do at Univision, which is we didn't just do the Mexican story or the Puerto Rican or Dominican. We really brought out all of the cultures that represent this huge diaspora of people. And um, that just still to this day doesn't exist on television. And for, for myself, like, especially as a Nicaraguan, I, I literally never see myself on television, right? There's just no representation there at all. And to be able to tell, I still, to this day, I'm dreaming to be able to tell the stories of my country, of my culture, and have it be able to be viewed as equal to the stories that are currently on TV, whether or not I'm talking about Nicaragua, whether or not, you know, it's about being Latino, or whether it's just about a Nicaraguan kid who happens to speak English better than he does Spanish, who grew up in Brooklyn, and that's more of his culture than it is of his mom's home country. Yeah, I mean, I think at times there's, it can be demoralizing, honestly. It's like even in the shows that have been successful, you know, none of them have made it past a third season. You know, ideally we make, we sometimes get to a second season, but from the behind the scenes conversation that I am constantly having with um, any of the Latina, largely Latina showrunners that I know, it's like what what ends up happening in the publicity is one of the really kind of big travesties and the big things that we don't talk about. And that's not out there, you know, in addition to meeting the executives who kind of understand the pitches and know how to buy them and how to develop them with Latino writers, we just don't get the same ad dollars. And so it's like they turn around after a first season and say, hey, your community didn't show up. And it's like, well, 
you didn't promote it. Like (laughs) you didn't, you didn't put the same investment in our show that you did in a show with a white cast. And so like how I think we're in a, a deep battle and deep sort of existential crisis is like, how do we allow, you know, how do we get to tell all the stories and give them legs to live and grow just like, you know, a white creator, a white male creator, we got a million times to fail and keep getting a new show. And, and you don't get that when you're a person of color, you don't get that when you're Latino, you don't get that when you're black. And um, I think that that's, you know, so there's like so many wonderful stories and there've been wonderful new shows, but they Mm -hmm. just don't get the legs. And it's, it's, it continues to be a source of frustration um there's so many passionate creators out there but also like I mean it's like if you look at any of the shows over the last few years that have made it to the air they're 90 percent um Mexican or Chicano they're 90 percent set in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we continue and because the Latino population is so diverse and 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 Mexicans and Caribbeans could not be more different Right. Because we're all starved to see ourselves on camera <laughs> right. because there's so little representation. People don't necessarily show up for all the shows either. Like they either don't know about it or you tune in and you're like, oh, well, this isn't I don't see myself. And they mm-hmm. and move on. And I think that that's one of the kind of. It's just so it. it's truly, it's, you know, it's truly a conundrum in that where we're just like, just give us more opportunities because when people see themselves playing villains or being the slackers or being, you know, all shades of ourselves, then we'll keep showing up because we aren't starved to just see my set. Like I'm like literally looking for me and that show's not going to show up unless I make it. Um, so it's a uh, it's interesting, but there are so many. I think there's a bunch of really wonderful shows on right now. Um, yeah, loving that that fool, this fool, that fool. This fool, this fool's great, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's you know when a when a white male creator's show about white people fails. It's never like, well, I guess there's a problem with shows about <laughs> white people or white male creators, and yet you know. You're going to get one day at a time is going to get lumped in with hentified with, you know, with, you know, they're all put in this as if they were all the same thing like this. Yeah. Overarching Latino show. Okay. I guess people must not want to watch Latino shows because this particular show underperformed because it wasn't promoted. Um, Yeah. It's, it, it seems like there's tiny little bits of, of progress, but yeah. not not super significant um and do you but do you feel like there is a real community um out here of i i i do um i think there's a community i think there's a movement um i've been a part of something one of the founding members of something called the untitled latinx project which is um all latina creators and showrunners and was started I guess the year after um, East Willie, we we wrote the pilot for East Willie B, and it was largely brought together by Tanya Saracho and Gloria Calderon Kellett with uh, other Latinas. They, I think, they had their first seasons on the air, and it was like they invited a bunch of us 
who had had pilots kind of in hopes that we would be the next generation. I think most of our pilots didn't go, but um, Alana Pena's Diary of a Female Prez went on the next year. And we're like a support group. We're an advocacy group. We've tried to do, we've written a Dear Hollywood letter about what we see as the things um, that need to be changed in order to increase Latin representation, one of which is more executives um, (laughs) who look like us and know our stories and relate to us so that when we're pitching, it's like, oh yes, I, I, this makes sense to me. Um, and we can help her like shepherd those stories to the screen. Um, so there's definitely a community. I, I know that letter is like hundreds and hundreds of writers, um, who signed that letter, but I think we're all regularly confronted with like how little does change. And that's one yeah. of um, the, the more, the, the, the frustrating things, but you got to keep, keep your head up. <laughs> <laughs> so when, <laughs> when you were do this version, this network version, um, you mentioned cheers, were there other templates like were, that you were thinking of in this transition from the web series to a network show? Um, I mean, was, was cheers very much in your mind? Uh, and you know, how much, ahead had you been thinking in terms of arcs of the season? I mean, Cheers was in our mind, but I think at this point, a little more of a backseat, like an inspiration, because again, the pilot wasn't, a, we didn't pitch it as a multicam. It was a single right. cam because I think we really wanted the filmic. Um, we, we always felt like it was Cheers if they left the bar, you right. know, because yeah. the neighborhood was so important. Um, to our show and we really wanted to prominently feature Bushwick um, from like, which was such a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, but from the people who were always there and who made it cool to begin with. And that was like, you know, at the time you had other shows like Broad City or you had um, the the smoking one on the weed. High maintenance. High maintenance. There were a lot of shows that were showing this neighborhood from a white perspective. And so we Mm -hmm. were always like, no, the neighborhood is a character in and of itself. Right. Um, And so in that way, do the right thing has always been a huge Mm. inspiration. If anything from square one, we were like, it's cheers meets do the right thing. Like you have the central location. That's always going to be, give you that bar community, but like they're going to leave and you're going to have, you know, the random guy on the corner, you're going to have a character that like shows up every once in a while, but is like a, almost like a set. He's so dominant. Mm -hmm. And, um, we also in developing it, um, there were several characters that were, or, or what one character principally, uh, the Elena character who was a hundred percent new. Uh, I think that also came, she was not, in the pitch um then Mm. so that really speaks to the development process of like once we pitched um how much the pilot changed um and and in order to meet the programmatic needs of the network um which is like at the end of the day abc is tends to be a pretty female dominant network and so with a show that was like set in a bar and we had strong female characters but like it was largely sassy and the boys and it became somewhere along the development process. I remember it sort of came up like, hey, if you could add another prominent female character, that would be really help the show. And it was like, yeah. okay, what is what does that character look like? And this was on the heels of um, Hurricane 
Maria, right? Yeah. Um, and so for us, we're like, okay, it's a Caribbean story. We Puerto Ricans, like, let's bring in this kind of this very contemporary thing that they're going through, but also it's a comedy. So we're going to put it on its head and deal with kind of the Puerto Ricans from the island perceptions of Puerto Ricans in New York and the cousin dynamic emerges there. And uh, I'm really proud of what we did with that. But again, that was like totally seeks to development. Where you're yeah, like, that's oh, amazing because like, that? <laughs> yeah, it's where your act breaks are coming from. It's, you know, it's like amazing that yeah. it's not yeah. in the pitch. It's such a huge part of the pilot uh, uh, Manny's response to Elena is one of my favorite things you know yeah. just because it's so that the hey just like he's gonna get so much street cred for like knowing you know this immigrant <laughs> is just like that feels great that's just one of those things that feels like okay you wouldn't go there you know if you didn't know the community you wouldn't yeah. you, that that attitude might not occur to you um right and it's so much it's such a great dynamic um but, well, it uh, also that, comes from like flipping expectations of, you know, what people think about, you know, on their head as well, right? It's not just Latinos, but Latinos from other countries, just the assumption that like, just because you're not living in the United States, you dying to get here, you probably live in a shack in the middle of the woods, you know, it's just so, it's so funny because I, I'll go to Nicaragua and I'll like be around people who are just so, you know, different than what you might picture, you know, a, a Nicaraguan to be. So it's... um you know, incorporating characters like that is again to our point how we diversify the images of ourselves on network television, right? And show people that Puerto Ricans aren't just, you know, these people who are suffering and begging and, you know, need us to help them, right? They, they also are very independent, very capable of taking care of themselves if we let them. Um, and yeah, it was funny, but to the development process, it was funny because I, Julie, I don't know if you remember this um, or if you remember it the same way that I do, but I, I honestly feel like the first phone call that we had with them was very Hollywood in the sense that it was almost like, we love this show, but now we're going to change everything about this show. Yeah. It was literally <laughs> how they phrased it. Completely different pilot than you pitched. Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it, but like. <laughs> but what if. <laughs> Uh, it, uh, it, you came up with her too i mean it was always like the the willie grappling with the weight of his father has yeah. always from the web series till the pilot was central to his character and i think it was why the kind of genius and and i i believe you came up with elena like pitched that idea that it's like what if you bring we can bring in this character that nobody's ever met but like it's going to play into the central wound of our main character, which is I, I am trying to step into these shoes that I don't know if I can fill. Well, what if he finds out that his dad isn't even who he felt like the big, you know, God that he made his dad into right. is that, how does that further complicate his own? And Ceci also from the web series was always, I played her in the web series. And one of the things again, in my, perpetual exploration of my own identity like <laughs> nobody ever thinks I'm Latina and like what if you had a character her arc was always that she along the way she's a foster kid she's rough and tumble as hell she's like comes from a world of foster brothers where they were like the united colors of Benetton she has black brothers she has Latino brothers she feels the neighborhood to her core but she actually doesn't know who her parents are and we wanted her to discover along the way that she wasn't Latina. 
and that the neighborhood and the bar would be like, but you are because we raised you, but have that kind of psychological kind of rift with herself of like, Mm. I don't know who I am. And in my case, if I was playing the role, it was that she was going to discover she was like actually white and she hated white people. What is this? But I think the beauty of our community is like we, she could also have been Afro Latina and find out that she, you know, she thinks she's Afro Latina and at the end find out she's black and not Latina at all. And also have a similar kind of uh, reckoning, but also being like, you know, the difference between birth, nurture, nature, and family, and, and, and who raises you kind of having an impact on you. And and those are the types of stories we always were just, again, wanting to put things, have someone see, see us one way, and then put it on its head, and then just challenge, use comedy to challenge those types of perceptions. Yeah, for, for a late inning edition, it's such a, the Elena thing is such a rich vein in terms of just what it does to your main character, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that relationship with the, the dead father and how it makes him question everything. And that you do have, you know, so that you had that and that you had Ceci's journey, you know, it seems like you had really created a lot of story engines, you know, to, to go forward uh-huh. um i'm curious about that disney program that you did um like having never been through one of those or really you know talk to some, it, it seems like what that program should do is have you write something and then get one of these notes that's just like we love this but we want everything to be different and then make <laughs> you like that that's the real world training is just like okay you sold this and now you have to change every single thing about it and still try and hold on to but I mean, what do you, what were the main things you feel like you learned from that program? Well, you know, I had literally never been inside the industry at all. Like I was theater in New York, just like zero experience from like actual television <laughs> industry. And I think one of the things that it did that was wonderful is it really gave me that like an education. I mean, the first few months were spent, we were, were spent developing something original. We had, we had ABC mentors, um, executive mentors. We we're also paired with like showrunner or like co- kind of people on overall deals, writing mentors. Um, and so we spent the first, I would say about four to six, four months um, up until pilot season developing our originals. And then we're expected to write them, you know, over the, so we completed them. Um, we also had like a different talks, like alumni came in and I remember, um, to kind of like train us and what to expect from a writer's room. Um, and to this day, I remember so clearly, uh, Sierra Ornales, who was, had been in the ABC writing program several years before me and had since, Stopped on happy endings and other things. And now is a show, like amazing showrunner, wonderful human. And she did a session with us and she was like, as a staff writer, you need to know when to take a knee. Like you need to know how to read the room and you need to know your place in the kind of, in the hierarchy and you need to know when to take a knee. And when I finally got into my first writer's room, that pilot season, I, I was staffed on Gallivant. And, and that was like a very, um, 
there were very little, like very few lower levels. It was like mostly all co-EPs and sort of learning how to pitch and learning like, you know, how to use your voice, but also like, hey, when you're the staff writer in the room and like you're the diversity staff writer, so you're the free staff writer, you have the least amount of experience. A lot of your, what you're doing is absorbing and learning and like, yeah, give your ideas when it's time. But also if like people don't respond, know when to take a knee and like maintain, not kind of de- derail the room. And since then, and, and you know, I guess I've stopped on like four or five shows now. I, you see those dynamics and you see when, when people haven't, don't know exactly how to read and it's read the room or start kind of like pushing too hard on things. It's like the showrunner doesn't like it, drop it, you know, like just like keep it moving. Like how much the, the way in which the collective works and the, the hierarchical, you know, status, I've been in rooms that are very hierarchical. I've been in rooms that are not at all. And, um, but still there's, you're one of multiple voices and kind of understanding that um, is why I, I always think of that as one of the first, largely because I'd never been in a writer's room. I literally had no idea what to expect. And I was like, okay, know how to read the room, know when to take a knee, <laughs> you know, know your place, but also contribute. Like, don't be silent. Cause then there's other times you're like, Hey dude, nobody knows you exist if you don't like pitch sometimes. Um, but the, the writer's room is just such a unique, special, complicated (laughs) um, room. And when it works, I think it works so wonderfully. And obviously when it uh, has more toxic traits, it can can be terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I should say that Sierra, like so many great writers has had a pilot on Dead Pilot Society. So um, we we did, which was- Got all the greats. Um, so do you, I hope you don't think this is like the end of the East Willie B story. Is there like, how do you think of it now? You know, you, you, you made the, you made the web series, you made the network sale, you wrote the network pilot. It didn't, you know, you know, how, where does it sit in, in your minds now? You know, it's, it's funny. Cause I think on every stage of East Willie B, there's been a moment where we're kind of like, all right, well, it's been a good journey, but that's probably the end of the road, right? And and so we just move on and then it comes back. And and when we had finished recording with you guys uh, this just recently, Julia and I just immediately got in touch with each other. And we were like, this can still be a show. Like, and we honestly believe it. And it's not out of some, I don't know, selfish desire to not let a baby die that we put so much love into. It's honestly, we believe that it's such a timeless story. It fits so well into, into the world and it tells such a great story that is not exclusive to Latinos. It's very much open to any culture. Our original vision of East Willie B was to incorporate the Jewish community of Brooklyn, the West Indian community of Brooklyn, like to really show the full color palette that is growing up in a major city in the United States of America. And I think that's why it's, it would resonate so well and you're seeing a, a big success right now with comedy, uh, especially the multi-cam is having a little bit of a comeback and, you know, leaning into that old style of, of television, which I think East Willie B does well, you know, it does fit into that Cheers mold a bit. It does fit into the, the good times mold a little bit, you know, and it, so if you, I, 
I think it had to stop, man. That's the, all that no, to say. He called me immediately after, and he was like, "Did we ever pitch this as a multicam?" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we did. But like, hey, I, yeah. I mean, I think that the way you put it is so true. It's like every time we thought it was dead, it, something new happened, and when new people discovered it, you know, it's like just the story of making that pilot, it was dead. We had mourned it. We were like, well, we did it. We pitched it. It didn't happen. And then it came back around. Um, does just truly speak to it. And it, 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 it also, it speaks to the lack. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like where we end up sitting and standing as New Yorkers and as non-Mexicans is like, we still like, we, you know, you, there are overlaps between us and Hentified, but like, it's a totally different story. Like it's a totally yeah. different football, it's a totally different story. Um, and so for those reasons, it's always like, God, how, what, it, it, it feels evergreen, I think in a way. And I, God, I mean, like the dream of my life would be to be able to get it to actually shoot it I think hearing like doing the reading and doing it with you know a fresh cast I just remember sitting back while we were recording it with you guys and like I was genuinely laughing in that way that you're like you have the distance that you don't remember writing the jokes. Right. Like, hey, that mm-hmm. actually made me laugh. And like, oh my God, <laughs> characters are so fun. And, you know, they can be played by many different people. Like they just, there was so much um, there. And and I think as Latinos continue, you know, one of, one of the things I think always hits our pilots is like casting, casting. Like we don't have big enough names. But I think a lot of the recent shows um, the success of like of Vida, of Hentified, of this pool, of Primos, like all those shows show you that you don't need mm-hmm. big name cast to create wonderfully unique, funny shows that people want to watch. And like we have so much talent in our community that is just like ready and ready to go. Um, and we still want to see yeah. <laughs> The, the fact that we did this reading, reigniting that flame for you guys and getting you to like figure out, all right, what's, you know, whether it's let's do it as a multicam or, you know, new outlets open up all the time. Obviously, yeah. right now during the strike is not the time that it's going to happen, but no, no. <laughs> um, you've got this time to sort of figure out what the next move is. And, uh, you know, I think you're right. There's 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 no date expiration date on this and uh it would just be it would just be awesome if uh it could be revived and we could play some small part in that fingers crossed man all right well thank you so much for letting us read it and so great talking to you guys and it's a great show uh and thank you guys someday (laughs) look forward to seeing it at some point on my tv Thank you. Definitely. All right. Thanks. Be well. Thanks so much. You too. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Thank you to Julia and Yamin, who are awesome. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Finling. It is masterfully edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Follow us on social media. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the picket lines. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.